Good morning, Missy O family. Um, our, our scripture is Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. Well, again, welcome everyone. So good to have you this morning. It's good to know that uh, many of you got the sweater weather memo this morning. Appreciate that. Uh, We are currently in a series entitled Party Crasher where we are looking at the very real party stories and stories of parties that Jesus attended throughout the Gospel of Luke. Throughout Luke, Jesus attends 10 different parties. And if you just take it as like a mere point of percentage, almost 41% of the book of Luke is just actual parties Jesus attended, ones that he showed up at or ones that he hosted, or ones like this in the story of Zacchaeus where Jesus unceremoniously just invites himself over to somebody else's house. Like, hey, you're throwing me a party. Let's go, dog. We're looking at these real parties that Jesus actually attended because as we see these party stories, we are getting a glimpse, a picture a little window into the very heart and work of our God. If we want to know what God is like, if we want to know how God operates in the world, if we want to know what God does, then we look at Jesus and we see Jesus show up at parties unexpectedly and with the most unexpected of people. Throughout this series, what we have seen is that Jesus will party with any and everyone. People who have been written off and cast to the side, they get seats of honor in Jesus's parties. We see Jesus show up again and again at the house of religious leaders, people that I feel uncomfortable with sometimes that Jesus continues to party with, and yet Jesus keeps showing up in their life and in their space, confronting them about the way their religion has excluded others, but always to invite them into relationship with himself and to have a seat at the table. Jesus keeps showing up again and again to party with people that we would not expect, people that sometimes make us uncomfortable, people who hate Jesus, Jesus continues to create space for at the table. We've got four more party stories to look at in our series. And today, the story that we're going to look at is the last of Jesus's, so to say, public parties. In a moment, like next week and the weeks to follow, we will be in kind of the last moments of Jesus's earthly ministry, what sometimes is referred to as the passion narratives, where Jesus is heading towards the cross. And so this week we get a public party. Next week we're looking at the Last Supper. Then the parties to come after that are all post-resurrection parties. And it has a different vibe, a different tone. It's kind of doing something 
different. But today we get this last public party where you could say that Jesus eats his last meal with new friends or strangers that are becoming friends, where the parties to come in the future are his most intimate gathering, his disciples and his friends and his family. And so today in this last like public party story, where Jesus eats with a new friend, so to say, we get the story of Zacchaeus, which is maybe one of the most famous Bible stories. Uh, if you grew up in church, you probably heard this. You probably saw it with like flannel graphs. Anybody remember flannel graphs? There's a few hands. All right. It's nice to know that I haven't dated myself too much. <laughs> this is a story I absolutely love. I love this story because we get this moment where someone who does not belong with Jesus in all the external ways, someone who does not seem to fit the stereotypes of a good Christian person, someone who does not fit the cultural stereotypes or categories around him, has this encounter with Jesus and is wildly transformed by it. And I think in this story, we see this like really beautiful expression of the gospel. What happens when we have an encounter with Jesus and what kind of transformation can happen in our own lives when we have these kind of encounters, when we experience his welcome, when we experience his generosity, when we experience his love. And it is a beautiful story, but I do want to say it is also a bit of a challenging story because I think if we're honest and if we're open and if we pay attention, this story will force us to wrestle with some things that I think often we would rather leave for a different conversation. The story of Zacchaeus, this story of the gospel, this story of transformation, I think it will ask us some questions that in our modern society, we often want to leave unanswered. Questions about what we love, questions about the priority of possessions, questions about the place of wealth in our heart and in our life. Good questions, but sometimes uncomfortable questions. So let's get into it. The story begins in Luke 19, verse 1. Meg just read for us so eloquently. It says this at the beginning, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through that town. And a man there named Zacchaeus was a ruler among the tax collectors and was rich. We've mentioned this before as we've kind of told these stories about Jesus hanging out with people but tax collectors are interesting people in the life of ancient Israel. They are wholly despised by their Jewish neighbors. Now, not in the way that we despise tax collectors today. Very differently. Tax collectors in the ancient context were Jewish people who were seen as traitors by their Jewish neighbors because they worked for Rome, the occupying nation. They worked on behalf of Rome collecting taxes from the occupied people. And then they made their money by setting the rates of those taxes and skimming off the top. And so say that Rome had established like a 3% tax, a tax collector had the independent authority to be like, mm, taxes are 5% because I got a boat that I really want to buy. They could do that. And so they were seen as these like kind of greasy, grimy, profiteers who worked for Rome, profiteering off of their Jewish neighbors who had been conquered and occupied. They were seen as traitors and exploiters. 
That's who tax collectors are in the ancient context. And it says here that Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector, but that he is the ruler of tax collectors, or he is the head of other tax collectors, which just means that he oversees like tax collectors in this region around him. He would have seen all the different tax collectors that happen in neighborhoods or in communities or in smaller towns, which basically makes him the little point in a very big pyramid, which is why the text includes that he is wealthy. All tax collectors were probably wealthy, but the text intends to tell us that he is quite wealthy. This has really benefited him. He is very rich from this business. Now I want to pause before we go any further and just try to nuance how we see tax collectors. I think because we have heard stories about tax collectors so often, at least I have, it is easy to put them into categories in the same kind of way that we do with religious leaders. We're like, ah, we know who the Pharisees are. They're the bad guys in the story. They're the haters of Jesus. It's easy to write them off. And I think in the same way, it's easy to write off tax collectors, to view them as like scummy, underworld lenders. But their story is a bit more complicated than that. What tax collectors did was legal. They weren't engaging in some kind of illegal profiteering. They worked in the economic system of ancient Rome. They had legal, authorized government positions. They collected money the way they were supposed to collect money. Honestly, I think that a better comparison than greasy underworld lenders would be they are paid on commission. The bigger the sale, the more the commission. Or the more money they save the company, the better the bonus at the end of the year. It's a legal system of making money. And I imagine, this is just a guess, but I imagine that if you could enter into the mind of an ancient tax collector, you would probably see yourself as providing a public service. Because taxes paid for public utilities. Rome, kind of uniquely in the ancient world, had a pretty sophisticated structure of public utilities. They had a really sophisticated road structure that connected the empire. They had aqueducts that brought water into the cities. Taxes paid for those services. So I just imagine that if you're a tax collector, you're like, I have a legal job sanctioned by the government, and I'm providing a necessary service to those around me. You want water? You can thank me. Now, the only reason I bring this up is I, I just think tax collectors are more complicated than our categories often give them room for. And I think this is important because whenever we read the Bible, we are invited to ask ourselves, who are we in this story? That's the beauty of the Bible, is that it gives us room to identify with the characters. Characters that are also very different than us, we get to identify with and have their story resonate within us. But at the same time, there are certain characters that are more like us than others. And as Americans, living in the wealthiest place in the history of the world, we are more like Zacchaeus than we are like many other characters in the biblical story. We have more wealth and stuff than basically anyone throughout history has ever had access to. And like Zacchaeus, our relationship with wealth is complicated. What's interesting about this story is that Jesus does not tell Zacchaeus to stop being a tax collector. 
But in Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus, it does force him to think about how his money has come to be and whether he's taken advantage of people or whether that possession holds too much priority in his life. And I think that's the invitation for us today, is that Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus that challenges him to ask some questions about possessions. It does the same for us. I like tax collectors because... I think for us, they might be the most relatable character. So the questions that Zacchaeus asks, I think, are important for us to wrestle with, but we will get there in a moment. So here's the context. You've got a tax collector. He's wealthy. He oversees other tax collectors. And it says that he wants to see Jesus. Verse 3 through 4, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. Why did Luke do that to him? I just think this is a crazy thing. The thing we all know about Zacchaeus is that he is short. The, I was thinking about this sermon, and the song, there's a song that came to my mind. Zacchaeus is a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Anybody know? Why do we do that to him? It's such a, throws him under the bus. That's all we know about him. You could just say there's a lot of crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus. Come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. This is such a beautiful and wonderful moment in the story with all these strange little details. But my favorite part is that Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' home. And Zacchaeus is happy to host. I, I just think this is such a perfect picture of who Jesus is and what we're seeing throughout this whole conversation. Jesus wants to be with Zacchaeus. And that never gets old to me. This is the thing I love about Jesus so much. This never gets old to me. Jesus likes being with people, all kinds of people. And he doesn't care about his reputation. He cares about Zacchaeus. He cares about you. He cares about me. And people in this story do not like that Jesus wants to go spend time with Zacchaeus. It says right after this that everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Jesus doesn't care. He wants to be with Zacchaeus, this short king in a tree, even if it makes people uncomfortable. Now, we don't really know what happens next. The text sort of jumps forward in the narrative to verse 8. There's a little paragraph break, and all of a sudden, we're at some other moment in the story. Scholars think that this is probably at the party. But we don't know what's happened. It's this hastily thrown together event. They're at the party, and it says, Zacchaeus stands up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I will repay them four times as much. Again, this is just a wild moment if we're reading through this story. We know basically nothing about the party. We don't know what Jesus says to Zacchaeus. We don't know if Zacchaeus hears a fun parable like Jesus will tell at other stories. We just know nothing. All we know is that Zacchaeus is in a tree. Jesus is like, hey, host a party for me. They get to the party, and Zacchaeus is like, you know what? I've got too much stuff. 
Zacchaeus has some kind of encounter with Jesus, and it makes him look at his wealth and his possessions and say, I'm going to give away 50%. And if I've hurt people, if I've cheated someone, if I've exploited, if my position has given me opportunity to get money in ways that are unseemly, then I'm going to pay it back four times, which is a wild thing to say because as the head of tax collectors, he could be talking about thousands of people. I'm going to repair my financial harm to thousands. Biblical word for that would be repentance. Jesus had an, Zacchaeus has had an encounter with Jesus that leads him to some kind of wild and radical transformation of his life. Where he looks at his things, he looks at his job, he looks at his possession, and he says, I'm going to use this to seek repair. This is such a beautiful picture of the gospel to me. And what can happen in our lives when we have an encounter with Jesus? We are transformed by it. It reminds me of the words of the writer in 1 John who says, we love because we have been so loved. We experience goodness and generosity and are transformed by it. To meet Jesus, to experience his goodness is transformative, but this is important to hear, it can also be quite challenging. Zacchaeus responds, amazing. And we don't know what's happening in his heart. We don't know what's happening in his brain. We don't know what's happening at the party. We just see this amazing response. And I think it's so interesting that we get this story where we do, because just one chapter before, we get a very similar story about another rich young ruler who has an encounter with Jesus that goes a very different direction. They're like bookends to one another in this section. You probably know this other story too, but I think it's worth looking at to make sense of Zacchaeus's. This is one chapter before, in 18, verse 18, we get the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and asks him how he can have eternal life. And here's how the story goes. Verse 18 says, A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, What must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Jesus tells this rich young ruler to keep five of the Ten Commandments. There's Ten Commandments in the Old Testament Bible. And Jesus tells him to keep five of them. This is an interesting moment in this story because Jesus very deliberately, I think, ignores another five or leaves out another five from this conversation. The, four, the five that he has named are ones that we can kind of easily measure. You can tell sometimes that people are lying. You can tell sometimes that people are committing adultery. They're external practices, external commands. But Jesus doesn't mention another five. And it's not just like the first five. He like picks and chooses what he chooses to mention to this rich young ruler. He doesn't mention the first four, which are, have no other gods before me. Do not make false idols. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Do not justify evil in God's behalf. And remember the Sabbath. And then he skips to the very end. The 10th commandment says, do not covet. an interesting set of things to include and omit from his list. 
mentions five that are maybe easy to measure, and then he doesn't mention five that are harder to get your hand on. Five that have way more to do with your heart and your mind and your imagination and what's happening inside of a person than what is happening external. In response, the rich young ruler says to Jesus, I have kept all of these things since I was a boy. I've done those things. I've honored my mother and father. I haven't lied. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered anybody recently. I'm good. And here's what Jesus says in response. He doesn't ask him the other five. Doesn't tell him to keep the other five. Instead, he says this. When Jesus heard this, he said, there's one more thing. Sell everything you own and distribute the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the rich young ruler heard these words, he became sad. Why? Because he was extremely rich. Instead of asking him the other five commands, Jesus says, give away your wealth. And the rich young ruler cannot do it, which is the greatest reveal of whether or not he's been able to keep the other five commands. Because it reveals where his heart really is. What it is that he loves, what it is that he makes a priority, what position his possessions hold in his heart. Externally, the rich young ruler has his life so together, and externally, he is the exact opposite of a character of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus looks like a sinner on the outside. But when Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus, he looks at his wealth and his possessions, and he just makes this determination that it is not more important than God or others. That all of life can be reimagined and reprioritized in light of this goodness. I mentioned to you, 1 John, we love because we have been so loved. Here's how that whole text reads We love because God first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters, whom they have seen, can hardly love God, whom they have not seen. This commandment we have from Him. Those who claim to love God ought to love their brothers and sisters also. There's such a through line of Jesus' work and what we've seen over and over again in all these party stories that Jesus is trying to connect what's happening in your heart with what's happening in your life. You cannot claim to love God if that love does not move external from you to those around you. We read the passage from James two weeks ago that the worship our Father desires is a care for the widow and the orphan. Love of God moves to love of others. And Zacchaeus has an encounter with the love of God, and it immediately begins to flow external from him. He sees his wealth and his possessions, and he's like, these will not hold priority in my life. And I see the ways that my wealth has been gained in unjust ways, and I will seek repair. He has an encounter with love that transforms him. This is what makes this story both good and hard. 
Jesus ends that encounter with the rich young ruler saying, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say it's impossible. He says it's hard. Because it's hard not to love our wealth and our comfort more than we love others. It is hard to look at where it came from like Zacchaeus and seek repair. It is hard to not have an idol of our possessions. It is hard to have an encounter with love that reprioritizes our possessions. Missia, we are more like the rich young ruler in Zacchaeus than many characters in the biblical story. And I think like both, our love, our idols, they are revealed in encounters with Jesus. We meet Jesus at the party, we have this encounter with his goodness, and it forces us to ask these deeper questions about our own hearts and our own realities. Is money my God or is it a gift to be given away? What occupies the primary place in my heart? And the question for each of us in light of these stories is how do we respond to our encounters with Jesus? Jesus will keep showing up again and again and again. Jesus never gives up on people. Hear that he never gives up on people. But the question for us is how do we respond to these encounters with Jesus? Like the rich young ruler, do we decide that we are too wealthy? And so do we walk away sad? Or like Zacchaeus, are we transformed by the generosity of Jesus to be generous? The question is about our hearts. It's about what we love and what we prioritize. It's not as simple as a command or a black and white structure that this is much and this much is fine. It's about what we love. There's a quote from biblical scholar Justo Gonzalez that I really like, talking about this passage specifically. He says this, When it comes to the use of possessions, it's not just a matter of setting aside a certain portion to give to the poor, be it 100% as in the case of the ruler, or 50% as in the case of Zacchaeus, or 10% as in the practice of tithing, and then claiming the rest for ourselves. It is not just a matter of obeying a commandment. Here's the clincher. It is a matter of free, liberal, loving giving. And it is also a matter of being willing to recognize the possibility that one's wealth may be unjustly acquired. In short, it is a matter of love and justice intertwined. It's not as simple as a command. It is not as simple as a right answer. It is about being transformed by the goodness of Jesus to reevaluate ourselves and our lives through the lens of love and justice. Monsieur Jesus is inviting us, like these characters, into an encounter with him. To sit at the table to know that we belong, to receive love, to experience generosity and goodness, to be transformed by him. And it is an invitation to have our priorities and loves upended in the goodness of 
God. This is what we do every single week as we gather at this table. We practice our Zacchaeus moment of being welcomed to Jesus' party where we get to encounter the goodness and wonder of Jesus. But if it is truly our Zacchaeus moment to respond to the generosity of Jesus, then the question is to us, how will we respond to the invitation that Jesus is offering? I'm going to play some questions on the screen. I just want to use uh, as a moment of reflection for us. How is my relationship to wealth and possessions helping or hindering me in following Jesus? Are the sources of my wealth honoring to God, self, and others? And how might God be inviting me to respond to Jesus with my wealth? Just three questions that I want to create some space for us to reflect on. And so in a moment, we'll come to the table, we'll worship. There'll be people over here who'd love to pray with you, especially if these questions have surfaced anything. But before we do those things, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're just going to create like a minute or two of time to reflect on these questions. And know this, that Jesus will always show up to create more moments of encounter with him. The invitation to the table is never closed, be it tax collector, religious leader, or someone in the middle. So, Monsieur, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this story of Zacchaeus. Thank you that you see him in a tree and you want to be with him. And in the same way, you see us wherever we are, wherever we come from, or whatever we bring into the space. You see us and you want to be with us. And you are right now inviting us to have a meal with you. You're kicking in the door, coming to our house to party with us. And so Jesus, we hear this word would we receive it as we have an encounter with you? Would we accept it? And would we ask ourselves now, how do we respond to you? Would you give us the courage to respond like Zacchaeus? To see love and justice intertwined? To reorder and reimagine our loves and our possessions in light of your generosity? God, be with us, as we know you are. In your name we pray. Amen.